All right, so uh, just a moment of honesty. How many of you have ever had a bad dream or a nightmare regarding your job? You ever had that happen? All right, a few more uh, in the first service. Uh, so I don't know if it, are you early riser, are you more anxious or something? I, I don't know what that is, but I've had that before. And there's one in particular that sticks out to, to my mind. For my job, nightmare, bad dream that I've had. And it's that I come up to this place, this spot on the stage, and I've got absolutely nothing. Like, I completely forgot to prepare, didn't have a sermon, was complete, and I didn't know where it was going to come from. Like, I had no idea. And you'd think, like, in the dream, like, I would figure it out walking up or maybe that morning when I woke up. But it never happens that way. It's, it's not until I get right here and I start to talk that I'm like, I've got, I've got absolutely nothing. How did this happen? And I think, I think that nightmare comes from an experience that I had when I was in college. So me and a few other friends went to West Africa, a couple different countries in West, West Africa for two months on a mission trip. And as part of that experience, we would be asked to go uh, to different villages and we would preach. And so we would do that and here's how that would happen. First couple times it happened, um, we would say, hey, uh, my friend Aaron, hey, the missionary would say, you, Aaron, you're going to go preach to this village. We'd all go with him and, and hang out, and that would be great. And so Aaron would get up, and he would speak. He would give his sermon. It was great. And we're like, all right, it's time to head on back. And then the local evangelist that lived there, he would go talk to the missionary real quick, and then would come up to one, one of us and say, all right, now it's your turn. We said, what? Like, what are you talking? No, Aaron just, he preached. Like, we're good. And then, and then we realized that as many of us were there, all of us were going to be preaching that morning. That's just how, if it was all four of us there, all four of us were going to preach. So the first time it happened, we were shocked. The second time we, it happened, we were thinking, huh, this, this seems like this might be a thing. The third time, we were prepared. We were ready to go. But I'm sure you've been in that situation before where some of your bad dreams, your nightmares probably come about with some kind of true experience that you had in your life. Maybe it's an unexpected bill. You're like, I didn't know this was coming, and now I've got to figure out what the next step is, and I have no idea what that is. Maybe it's some kind of change in your job, some kind of change in your family situation, and you get stressed and you get anxious about it because you have no idea what's going to come next or where it's going to come from or what you're going to do, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. As we talk about altars and what it looks like, we're starting this sermon series about how we get this opportunity and are able to make this choice in our lives to build places of remembrance, have spaces where we dedicate to where God showed up in our life to take care of things for us. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, some of you, you maybe you came here uh, because you're longing for some sort of defining moment like that in your life. Some sort of inciting incident where you're ready for the promises of God to finally show up in that moment. Maybe you're here because you're a Christian. Maybe you're here because you're seeking something more. Maybe you're here because somebody made you come. Regardless of what your reason is or what you're looking for in this life, one of the things I know to be true about the nature and character of God is that he wants you and I to experience him. He wants us to have those defining moments in our life. But what I want you to consider today as we look at Genesis chapter 22, which if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and turn to that because uh, we're going to be in much of that chapter this morning. Here's what I want you to consider today is that the defining moment in your life may not be about what you're waiting on God for. It may be more about what God is waiting on you to finally be willing to put on the altar. So last week we talked about Noah, and we talked about the altar that he made and created after 
the flood and after he came out of the ark. And it was after his altar and sacrifice that he made that God made a promise and a covenant to him. And so sometimes I think we think, well, that's how it works every time. It's like we, we kind of build this altar to God and then something great is going to happen. Today, though, as we're in Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be looking at the life of a guy named Abraham who already had a promise from God. And yet God asks him to build an altar and to make a sacrifice as a result of that promise to trust him in obedience to see it through. Abraham is another patriarchal figure in the history of the Israelite nation. In fact, it's Abraham that God makes the promise and says, hey, there's going to be a nation that comes after you that's going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the seashore, and you're going to have a son that all this promise is going to come through. Now, Abraham is 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, is, is 90 years old, and they kind of laugh when God tells them this. They even try to take things in there because they hadn't had a son yet. And they're like, this doesn't really happen at 190 years old, typically, if, in case you didn't know. And so they were, they were wondering, I, I don't know, maybe he wants us to do it this way. And so Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden, as you do, I guess, and, and he had a son with her named Ishmael. And if you know your history just a little bit, Ishmael is considered to be the traditional ancestor of Muhammad of the religion of Islam. So it's kind of interesting when you kind of have a promise from God and you try to take things into your own hands and make it happen. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon, so you can read about that some other time. But Abraham and Sarah end up getting pregnant, and they have a son named Isaac. So Isaac has been born, son of the promise, great nation's going to come, and this is amazing. And then we start in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, after Isaac had been born... God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, the son of the promise, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Uh, no. I mean, like, if, at any point in the Bible, as you're reading, if there was a moment for someone just to completely, and we would say this is perfectly reasonable, as someone who would completely break away from God and disobey, like, this would be that time, right? You think, who in their right mind wants to sacrifice their children? I love my three kids, and there's never been a moment that I've ever wanted. Okay, so maybe there are some days. But, however, like generally speaking, there is never a time in which I would say, God would say, hey, I want you to sacrifice your child as a burnt offering. Then I would say, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds reasonable. I'll do that. And that's not the conclusion that we draw from this. And yet, this is exactly what God has asked Abraham to do. This is totally counterintuitive. This doesn't make sense at all. This is the son of the promise. In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, Isaac's going to be born. I'm going to make him into a great nation and bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, God, that, that, um, I just, if Isaac is dead, that doesn't happen, right? I mean, you, you understand. Genesis chapter 21, God again affirms, says, Isaac, he's the son of the promise. This is going to be great. In Genesis chapter 22, he says, why don't you go sacrifice him? So I know Abraham is conflicted by this. However... In faith and trust and obedience, the next day, Abraham starts to pack. He's a couple servants help him. He tells Isaac they're about to go on a three-day journey to the region of Moriah. And they have to cut the wood and take the fire and take a knife with them. And you can tell, it's like, okay, we're going to make a sacrifice. So they start on their journey. 
And you can imagine what's going through Abraham's head through all this time. They're headed to this place. He's got three days to think about it. They get there. The place is in sight. And Abraham tells the servants, hey, you guys hang out right here. We're going to continue on, just me and Isaac. And so he takes the wood for the sacrifice and puts it on Isaac's back. Abraham carries the fire, the torch that he had brought with him. He takes the knife, and they start walking to the place. They're going along, and I think Isaac is a little bit older than maybe what we typically think he is at this point. And he starts to look around, and he starts to think and, and put some things together. And he looks over to Abraham and says, hey, Dad, uh, just, just kind of curious. Normally, when we do this, there's a lamb involved, like some sort of animal that's involved in the sacrifice. I don't, I don't see that here. And Abraham looks over in Isaac, and he says, yeah, this is kind of uh, glad you finally picked that up after three days. Um, yeah, well, son, God is going to provide a lamb for the offering. And here we pick up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and his fingers closed around the handle of, his, of the knife to slay his son. Now, at this moment, like, and, and it's here, it's not up here. I know this is more dramatic and stuff, but his hand hasn't gotten up here yet, but it's here. At this moment, I, I don't want you to think and read and kind of gloss over, because the, the Bible is not written like a, you know, fiction novel where it has all these, and he's, you know, was trembling and he was sweaty and, you know, the sweat dripped down his back or something. It doesn't give us all those details, but Abraham here, like, this is, he's not excited about this. This is not something he's looking forward to. But what we're seeing here is someone whose heart and mind is so completely dedicated in trusting in faith and obedience to God that he has committed his heart and mind to doing what God has told him to do. And so while he's here and his fingers are closed, he's determined in his mind, here's what happens in Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. And you can imagine, it, and the reason I say his hand is here is because he said, don't stretch out your hand you know, toward him. Don't get to, to that point where you might actually do this because this was never about that. And it may not seem like that. And I know Abraham's kind of like, all right, man, you're kind of jerking my chain around here. And I know Isaac was, you know, here saying like, hey, dad, maybe you should stop listening to voices from the heavens. You know, I mean, this is kind of a little bipolar here. What's going on? And kind of freaked out by this. The emotions are running high, but Abraham looks up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Here's the thing. Abraham takes his most valuable and loved and most prized possession. The thing that represented even the promises of God, everything that he'd hoped and dreamed for and wanted to have happen for his life, the joy that he knew that God wanted to experience, and he was willing to lay it all out on the table in, the obedience, in obedience and faith and trust toward God. 
And here's the big idea, if you get in anything from this, this is what I want you to hear. When you and I lay down what is most valuable to us on the altar, God will provide what we need the most. See, this was never about God wanting Isaac's life. This was everything about God wanting Abraham's heart. Like, would he be willing, if nothing else in this life, if he received nothing else in this life, would he be willing to go out the same way he came in with nothing except this, that he trusted and believed in God and in God's promise and in his faithfulness and his command for us and how we are supposed to live out our faith. When we lay down what is most valuable to us on the altar, God will provide what we need the most. So maybe one of the things that you need to consider in your life or think through this question, maybe today, this afternoon, or this week, is like, what, what is the thing that is most valued, valuable to me in my life? And is that thing taking the place, the number one spot that God is supposed to be in? God doesn't want human sacrifice. I mean, there are even laws against that in Scripture. Abraham came from a place, the town, the, the, town, the city, the region that he lived in. Historically, we can look at the archaeological record and find out, like, human sacrifice was a, to, was a thing at this day and age. That was, a, that was a thing that people did. They were so consumed by fear and lack of control in their life and their circumstance that they would do just about anything, sacrificing their own family, their own kids, their own people, just to try to control the weather or whatever might be going on having a good harvest, whatever might be happening in their life because they were so desperate about having an answer to whatever might be next that they can't see. Whatever the thing is that they need that they feel like has got to happen for them to be provided for. And it's crazy, but God actually had to set forth in his law in the Old Testament, hey, this is not a thing that you're supposed to do. Because even the Israelite nation got caught up in this. Because of the other peoples around them, the other cultures, they were influenced so much that they began to sacrifice their own kids. And they were condemned by this, by God. Like, well, how do you get to that point where you think that's a reasonable thing to do? I would think about, man, when you don't have the answer... Were you looking for a solution? Like, what, what am I willing to do to try to take control of my life? Are you, you going to do it? Or are you going to be willing to give it over to God? Like, are you really willing to lay down your hopes and your dreams for the promise that God has for you? Your job, your security, your family, your status, your health, your relationship, whatever it may be. Believing in God is easy trusting in him and that costs us all something and if you're anything like me or anything like normal human beings there is something that you're being tempted with something that is vying for your attention that wants to take that place of God in your life when Jesus teaches his disciples and he says whoever doesn't hate mother or father or brother or sister and takes up their cross and and follows me like whoever doesn't do that you don't understand what it really takes and looks like to follow after me. He's not talking about wanting to kill your family, but he is talking about like who or what are you putting in that topmost place when it comes to God. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the faith chapter, we read more about Abraham. We find out that by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. 
He who had embraced them promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Check this out in verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, when we actually believe God at his word and his promises, Abraham had gone so far to know and understand and trust in God's character and his nature that he would somehow even take the sacrifice of his own son and use that and turn that into something good for him who loves God and is called according to his purpose. And so when it comes to us putting whatever that thing is on the altar, it's about do we really trust God at his word? That God really will provide what we need the most. This story gives us one of the names of God, which is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. God will provide for us. A lot of times what we need most isn't what we want. And it's through obedience, Abraham listening and following through with what God called him to do that God blessed. Where do you know that God has told us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? The question is, will we really do that? It's not about what you and I do. It's what God does through us. And our performance is always outshined by God's provision in our life. At the conclusion of this story in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me." See, faith, real faith in God, takes the step beyond belief and trust. Faith, by definition, is the belief of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. And the evidence of the unseen takes place when we trust that God has provided for his promise. If Abraham had refused God's command, which all of us would have said, hey, that's kind of reasonable in this situation, he would have never known That while God's position gives him the right to demand anything from us, his character and his nature produces goodness where we can't even see it coming. See, the consequence of not trusting God at his word is that when we don't trust in God's provision, our altar is empty. It's empty of what's supposed to be on there for us to be even close to or receive the promises and the blessing that he wants us to have. We end up putting the wrong things on the altar to the wrong things, and to the wrong people. We tell God, essentially, we have nothing to give you, and we're going to keep it to ourselves because of our fear and our want of control of our circumstance and what's going in our lives. We're not willing to actually trust in Him. And yet the fear of God, however, results in a form of obedience that is no less poignant than being willing to sacrifice even your one and only Son. But the result is that we learn that we can relinquish control to him because he is trustworthy and he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who provides. James E. Smith writes this. He says, Satan tempts men to bring out the worst in them. God tests them to help bring out the best. The most severe tests come from the Lord, yet the greatest blessings accompany them. You may need desperately for God to show up in your life, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, 
whatever it might be. Maybe stuff is falling apart. Maybe your marriage is broken. Maybe your kids are struggling. Lay down. Whatever that is, the most valuable thing that you're holding on to right now, lay that down on the altar and put God in that topmost number one space. You and I need those altar moments, those defining places and spaces in our lives because we need to encounter God, the God who provides. And I believe that's how God's providence works. God's providence for us, his protection and guidance in our life is provision for his promises. That that's, that's the connection there in us living out what he calls us to do. That when he says stuff like, we are more than conquerors, or that Jesus has overcome the world, or that he will give us rest when we take on his yoke, that actually living and trusting those words help us to see him at work in our lives. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, and God loves to care for his children. And because of that, he will provide for our needs in this life. When we lay what is most valuable to us on the altar, God will provide what we need the most. And what you and I need the most is for God to intervene in our lives. And what you and I need the most is Jesus. And I want you to consider and hear the story in parallel to what God has done through Jesus. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, the son who he loves, and yet doesn't require him to follow through. However, with Jesus, God's one and only son, God didn't withhold him from us. As they're traveling, it takes three days for them to get there. There's plenty of time to think through what's going on. Jesus spent three days in the tomb for us before he came out as a living sacrifice. Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice for the hill that he's about to be sacrificed on. Jesus carried his cross to the place where he was actually sacrificed for our sins. It's interesting, and we don't know this for a fact because of how names and geography was used and all that kind of stuff, but the region of Moriah, like Mount Moriah, is where Jerusalem is, the place where Jesus died on the cross for our sins to become a living sacrifice. The thing that we deserve God to require from us, he doesn't. He requires that of himself and through his son. So the question for us is that would you and I lay down what is most important in our lives to the God who provides what we need the most? And here's the thing. If you want to know, like, what does it look like? How do I know that I'm kind of on this right path where I'm, I'm making God number one in my life? I want you to look back to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, where God says to Abraham, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And here's the thing. A lot of times I think we put ourselves in a posture in life where we think the reason I know that I'm going to be following God is because he's going to bless me and other people are going to bless me. And yet, I think God wants to flip the script in our life. And what he says and what he claims and what he wants us to live out is that when you recognize the promise that you have experienced through Jesus as a Christ follower, you will be the blessing. You're not going to be sitting around waiting for God to bless you. You're not going to be sitting around waiting for other people to come bless you. You're going to be the one who uses what God has given you to bless him and to bless others. Every week at Velocity, we remind ourselves of the significance of this around the Lord's table as we take communion together. Because when we sacrifice, 
we know and trust that God will provide in those moments. And so we take this meal as a reminder for that, that God invites us all to that. He invites us all into the same altar and the same sacrifice, and he gives us all the same promise to share. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story of Abraham's sacrifice, just seeing the real application of his faith and trust in you, this example of obedience. And God, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you give us the same courage and the same effort in how we live out our faith towards you. God, we thank you for the reality of your character and your nature that you have made promises to us that you will fulfill that are taken care of through Jesus. And that as we live out our faith, we can see you moving and active when we live as you have called us to live. When we're willing to sacrifice our own control, our own desires, and accept yours for our life. God, thank you for being a good and gracious and merciful God in those moments. Help us to learn how to sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.